Welcome to Nuggets, Inc. I'm your host, Matt Schubert, for this podcast about all things Denver Nuggets, joined again by Mike Singer, our Nuggets beat writer, talking about a wealth of topics, starting with last night's dramatic victory over Oklahoma City at the Pepsi Center. How do we think that matchup might look like in the playoffs? We're going to talk about Michael Malone, the coaching job he's done, set out some goals for the Nuggets going into the final home stretch of the season, and we're also going to go over drama. It's everywhere in the NBA, but not with the Nuggets. Why not? That and much more coming up next. All right, joined here again by Mr. Mike Singer, our Nuggets beat writer, back to talk about the Nuggets after a dramatic victory over the Oklahoma City Thunder last night. Uh, what time did you leave the arena? I think I left about 1 or one fifteen, <laughs> and I didn't even do the follow story. That goes a shout-out to Kyle Fredrickson, who, uh, who pinch hit and did a nice story on Will Barton and his big night last night, so props to him. Uh, big game, lots of implications there. I think it's safe to say they haven't sewn up the two-seed, but pretty darn close. They essentially have a five-game lead now, if I'm correct, right? Correct. So the ramifications of last night's game were essentially the Nuggets went 3-0 and uh, thus far against the Thunder. That means they've clinched the season series. They face them one more time in Oklahoma City. But that game doesn't carry as much significance because if it comes down to a tiebreaker, the Nuggets already have it. Um, like you said, they're actually four games up on the Thunder, but because of the tiebreaker, that's essentially five games. There are 22 games to go. Uh, that is a very close to an insurmountable lead. Um, the Nuggets absolutely feel very good about where they are. They feel like the two seed is theirs to hold on to. And yesterday, uh, there was a lot of talk about even gunning for the one seed uh, now that they're just a game back of the Warriors. Well, they got the Warriors twice. But if we remember what happened the last time they played the Warriors, I mean, they got run off the court. Yep. Um, how much confidence can they have going back to, to play that team that just absolutely embarrassed them on national team? You, you can't feel great about that matchup. I think it was 142-111. I think it was the 51-point first quarter, set an NBA record. Mm-hmm. Um, no, you don't feel good about them, but who feels good about facing a team that's won three championships in four years, especially yeah. when you're a team that hasn't even made the playoffs in five years? So... I think that there is a disparity between are the Nuggets going to be real postseason threats versus are they going to threaten the Warriors? I think that uh, only one of those things is probably realistic. I think that the Nuggets are a very dangerous team uh, come April and May. Uh, whether they seriously put a scare into the Warriors, and I'm not talking about getting the one seed versus the Warriors falling to the two seed. I'm talking about Western Conference Finals putting a scare into them and making them sweat. We'll have to see. Uh, I am. I just want to see it. Like that's the that's the thing. You can't assume that a team that hasn't made the playoffs since 2013 is going to make it to the Western Conference Finals, even though the seed may suggest it. I just need to see it first. Let me. My, my quick anecdote is the Milwaukee Bucks, number one seed in the Eastern Conference. Everyone assumes that they have a very good chance of making the finals this year. The Bucks have not won a playoff series with Giannis Antetokounmpo. Let's not assume anything. 
Yeah, I think that's safe to say. I want to go back to the game from last night. Let's go night. back to the game. Um, one thing that jumped out to me, I don't think I've seen a lot of talk about this, but Paul Millsap, down the stretch of that game, made a bunch of big plays, a couple of big offensive rebounds, uh, some I think a block, that at least one that I can remember, some really good defense. He gets a ton of junk from right, fans. Right. People just pile on him all the time because he gets a lot of money and they're not sure he's worth it. But it seems to me that's a playoff atmosphere game. That's a big game. And when the moment got biggest, he was one of the best players on the court. Not only was he one of the best players on the court, like you alluded to in terms of offensive rebounds and defensive rebounds and blocks and clutch free throws, but he calmed the Nuggets down. There was a there was an important moment where he huddled the guys together. Um, I think the Thunder had taken a 197 lead after Westbrook hit that three from the wing, and and Paul Millsap said, "Guys, let let's chill out. Like we 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 can do this. Like just focus. Like no more sloppy mistakes. Like that is a veteran voice that not a lot of them you know have around. Uh, I think the only guys who have real playoff experience and we can call last night a playoff like atmosphere." Paul Millsap, Isaiah Thomas, and Mason Plumley. So when when Millsap says that, and he doesn't talk a lot, but when he does talk, people listen. So he calmed them down. He set the precedent. He set the example. He, I mean, Michael Malone said he saved the day for us. And I rewatched the game this morning. He did. He was everywhere. He did not look like someone you would question a $30 million contract with last night. I understand the sentiment. I understand it hasn't been there all year. But he has four consecutive double-doubles. That's the streak he's riding on. I believe it's either the longest or the second longest streak of his career. He's playing really, really well. He's healthy. He says he feels good. He looks rejuvenated. Uh, Is his offensive game pretty? No, it's not pretty half the time. Sometimes he does a lot of isolation that doesn't necessarily fit with everybody, but he does all the little things. I'm going to give you a stat that is a little bit reductive, but just roll with it. The Nuggets are 37 and 12 when Paul Millsap plays, and they are five and six when he doesn't play. So interesting. Make of that what you will. I I kind of feel like last night was an illustration that whatever you might think about Paul Millsap, when you get into the playoffs, you need a guy like that. That there's those sorts of guys are what win you those. 50-50 50-50 games where you need two or three big plays and somebody who knows what to do has been there before. Yeah, I mean, listen, it was it was a calming effect. The Nikola Jokic used the word panic last, last night, uh, early in the fourth quarter. Uh, he walked it back. He said, yeah, maybe we didn't panic, but the sentiment was there. They were up 13 in the fourth quarter, 18 at one point, and the Thunder came back and took the lead and had a very real chance to steal that game, and Millsap, through his effort through his example through his will uh rerouted the momentum stopped it and halted it abruptly for the thunder and you know subsequently i think the nuggets came down forced a couple turnovers jamal hit a couple big three pointers they iced the game with some free throws and that was that Millsap turned the tide of the game the thing about that game that i would find troubling there's one part of it mm-hmm. um because i think there's a very decent chance they meet in the playoffs again, OKC and Denver. Mm-hmm. Right? You can see that happening. So that stretch where Denver sort of was teetering, wobbling, Nerland's Noel on Nikola Jokic was a problem. He did not have seem to have some sort of answer for how to score, how to make offense, how to generate something against Noel. And my thought was, if I'm OKC, I see that tape, and I'm thinking, we're going to throw Noel at him a bunch in a playoff series. 
maybe, and you're right, it did work a little bit. But, I mean, Steven Adams is their starter, and I think that Billy Donovan knows how invaluable Steven Adams is, how difficult he is on the offensive glass, how much a load he is. Um, and I have a hard time seeing them completely go away and bench Steven Adams in lieu of Nerlens Noel. But, okay, let's say Nerlens Noel is the anecdote to Nikola Jokic. The reason why I think the Nuggets should theoretically be favored in a matchup against the Thunder is because they're not a good matchup for them. They have so many other guys that like like Gary Harris, like Malik Beasley, like Will Barton who can go and get you buckets. He had 23 last night. They have so many offensive wrinkles that the Thunder can't account for. And then on top of that, they have defensive stoppers in Torrey Craig, uh, in Gary Harris. Malik Beasley played well on the perimeter last night. Um, Paul George, I think, was 3 of 14 from 3. So not only do they have the offensive firepower but they have some defensive guys who can just lock down or at least slow down their two all-world players and that's why if I'm the Thunder I would be pretty nervous about it fine they might have a and I'm not willing to concede that Nerlens Noel is the anecdote by the way I mean the answer yeah the, yeah the answer I don't yeah. think so uh you know I well, it, it was just it struck me because when I was watching the game I had not seen Nicola that frustrated by a guy before, and he was taking him out to the perimeter, couldn't really get by him on the perimeter. Uh, his athleticism seemed to bother him some, and it just seemed like, ooh, this could be a thing. That this, this, like, yeah, you're right, you're going to go to Adams a lot, but if you need stops, you think we have to do something about Jokic, maybe he's an answer, maybe he's something that's a problem. For Fine, him. And, and to that I would say that's where the Nuggets have this unbelievable weapon in Nikola Jokic, the passer. Uh, you know, 7.7 assists. The next closest big man is 4.4. I mean, Jokic's vision is otherworldly. He set up a ton of guys last night. I think he had 10 assists, set up a number of three-pointers, you know, fed Barton off of screens, fed Joker off of – or fed, fed um, Jamal Murray off of screens. Mm-hmm. You know, they work around him. If, if the Thunder somehow find a way to take away Joker, I think that he is still – uh, who described Danny Green described Joker as an octopus uh, with his arms flailing all around and how much he's able to facilitate from all angles and I mean that's what he is you can't you can't uh, significantly limit him in one facet. So you mentioned Tory Craig. Um, one thing that has happened in the last three games is that the Nuggets have finally gotten healthy. Outside of uh, Trey Lyles, who's I think out with a hamstring injury, yeah, um, they they pretty much have everybody back. Uh, Torrey Craig hasn't got as many minutes. Uh, you're not seeing Juan Hernan Gomez out there as much, uh, and you're also seeing some interesting lineup combinations: uh, three guard uh, combination with Isaiah Thomas. Um, excuse me, the, the names are escaping. Monte Morris, Monte and, Morris Gary Harris. And, and Gary Harris. Um, that also seems like it could be something. Um, wh- what to you, out of all of the things you've seen now with, with these different lineup combinations, has intrigued you the most? Um, certainly that three-guard set that you mentioned. But what's interesting is how long will Malone be willing to ride that? Because at this point, those three are coming off the bench. Gary Harris, he's already said, is our starter. Malik Beasley has not supplanted uh, Gary Harris in the starting rotation. Um, You know, how much of that is predicated on what Isaiah Thomas can bring? I talked to Isaiah Thomas yesterday, and he said, I'm not right. It's going to take me a while. 
how much time do the Nuggets have to let him get right and let him find his footing? And I think I mentioned this last time on the podcast. Does that align with the Nuggets' best interests? What does that mean for Monte Morris? I mean, the first two games, Isaiah Thomas was back. They were alternating possessions, and it was an awkward fit. And you can't just relegate Monte Morris to the bench. He's been so important and so steady to what you've done. Um, I'm going to throw another stat at you. If you had to guess, what would you say is the best three-man lineup uh, in terms of offense or in terms of net rating for the Nuggets? If you have no idea, that's all good. Um, I I would guess you have to have Jokic in there. Yes. Uh, I would say you probably uh, you would have to have Murray in there. Actually, no. No, really, no. Murray's not a part of that. No. That's that is surprising. I, I want to know now. Okay, so that was a good teaser. So uh, <laughs> it's actually Jokic. Mason Plumley and Monte Morris by a landslide. The, that is easily the be- the Nuggets' best three man lineup. Uh, two of those guys are reserves. Uh, you wow. look at that. Why? Why are, have they found such success that three man lineup? It's because none of those guys have holes. Uh, Mason Plumley is a plus defender. He contributes on the offensive end. We all know what Jokic does on offense. And then Monte Morris is so steady. There is no negative. Uh, on either side from that group, and they just thrive together when Malone opts to do uh, that two-big-man lineup. And so I'm sure that they know these numbers. I'm sure I'm not breaking new ground, at least for the Nuggets, but hopefully uh, you know, for the listeners that's a little bit of an insightful piece. I have to say it is surprising to me how well Plumlee and Jokic play together, that they really do seem to fit in a way that you would not think two centers would fit together. Uh, there was a play last night that was just mind-numbing. It was, I believe, end of the second quarter. Um, Jamal Murray, your guy, uh, yeah. drove in, broke down the defense, fed it to Mason Plumley down low. I think he had two guys collapse on him. Mason Plumley kicked it out to the corner uh, where Jokic was, and Jokic buried a three-pointer. And you know, I, I tweeted out the play. I tweeted out you know this observation. How many teams have? a backup center who can facilitate to their starting center for a three-pointer in the corner. I mean, you look at Steven Adams on the play, he looks dejected. He looks like he can't even process what just happened. And Jokic just buries it. And that is what I'm alluding to when the Nuggets have so many offensive weapons and so many wrinkles that they can deploy. All right. Well, we also know that you went to the All-Star game. Um, before we start talking about this, we have to take a quick break. Uh, got one thing that we've got to plug, and we'll be right back. Nuggets Inc. listeners, we have a special promotion to offer you. We're offering all listeners three months all access for 99 cents at denverpost.com. That's just 33 cents a month for the first three months to try us out. We've got all sorts of Nuggets content to offer. You can get that special offer at denverpost.com backslash nuggets inc again that's three months for just 99 cents get all the nuggets content you want denver broncos coverage colorado rockies coverage colorado avalanche coverage our politics our breaking news all of that for just 33 cents a month for three months it's a great deal and again if you want to get in on that offer just visit denverpost.com backslash Nuggets, Inc. Now back to the show. All right, so we're back. We're going to talk about Michael Singer's, or Mike Singer. Which one do you prefer? Mike Singer's great. Mike Mike Singer. uh, His experience in Charlotte at the All-Star Game. Uh, Just to begin with, what was it like? What was the atmosphere like at the All-Star Game? 
It is uh, all-encompassing. It is exhausting. You go, you are shuttled from event to event to event to event, and it is difficult to find time to try to actually put work together mm-hmm. to justify the expenses of being there. I hope I did that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll take you real quick through the schedule. You get there Thursday. I immediately go to a TNT event, and I sit down, and I get a couple questions in with Charles Barkley. Uh, we publish that you know, on DenverPost.com. Then the next day, uh, Nikola Jokic participated in a Basketball Without Borders event where he was coaching some of the best international prospects um, throughout the world who the NBA brought. Uh, we talked to Jokic after that, and I wrote a bit about that. And then later that night, the Nuggets – you know, extend their entire front office. So I had to deal with that. And then there was the celebrity game that Sue Bird and Monte Morris coached in. Then there was the Rising Stars game that Wes Unseld coached. And then Saturday night was the Skills Challenge, and then Sunday was the All-Star game. So as you can tell, it was uh, unrelenting and, you know, exhausting. And hopefully I did it justice. So you were uh, there for, I guess, four days, Mm -hmm. pretty much. Had to talk to all sorts of people around the NBA. Uh, rumors flying, I'm sure. All sorts of innuendo and things out there. Tell me, what, what's the juiciest bit of gossip that you came across? You mean other than uh, Kyrie and KD talking in that back hallway? Yes, yes, other than... <laughs> Which I have, uh, you know, perfect, video. Yeah, perfect insight into exactly what they were saying. Um <laughs> So it was really interesting just to watch the dynamics. I think this was a perfect platform for the Nuggets, for Michael Malone. Like He and his staff, they they sold themselves. This was a weekend where the Nuggets put themselves on the map. Uh, Outside of their entire coaching staff being there, um, Josh Kroenke and Stan Kroenke were there, Nuggets owners. And um, they were there for Team LeBron's practice on Saturday. Uh, and it was just funny to watch. There was a 45-minute session that was open to the media. You know, everyone could watch. There were fans there, and LeBron sort of walks over to Malone. Malone's there. Uh, the Cronkies are there. They're all joking. Then, uh, you know, I th- you know, obviously Malone coached LeBron in Cleveland, so they have a good history there. Um, and then a few minutes later, KD walks over. You know, gives Josh Cronky a hug. Uh, I'm not free agent to be I'm, Kevin Durant. You said it. I didn't. Uh, I'm not going to extrapolate anything. I did take a picture of it, but you know what? I'm, I think all these guys run in similar circles. I don't want to assume anything, but it is interesting to note that evidently they have a relationship. Um, uh, you know, and, and take it at that. So one thing that has just enveloped this NBA season is just drama everywhere. Uh, you alluded to that uh, surreptitious video that uh, appeared with, uh, I believe it was Kyrie uh, talking KD. to KD. Um, that was everywhere. You've had uh, drama in Golden State, the team that's probably ready to win another title. You've had drama with LeBron and the Lakers. You've had the whole Anthony Davis situation whatever the heck is going on with Kyrie in Boston. The one place you haven't had drama, right here in Denver. Everything is going swimmingly. So why do you think that is? Um, So it's really interesting. Uh, We were in New Orleans and uh, however many weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, and it was Anthony Davis's first home game in New Orleans since making his trade request. 
and it was super, you know, Alvin Gentry talked, uh, it was super awkward. He didn't know whether to, how to address the question, whether Anthony Davis had played his last game with the Pelicans. Uh, you know, he, he, it was obviously a difficult question. Uh, moments later, we were talking to Malone and I asked him, you know, how difficult is it to navigate something like that when something some, that could potentially distract your whole team, your whole franchise and the whole operation. And he goes, you know what? Uh, and he used to, he was an assistant coach in New Orleans, so he can a little bit commiserate with that. But he was thrilled with the fact that none of that has entered the Nuggets locker room or their franchise. It is, they, it has just been smooth sailing, like you just said. And part of the reason I believe is because all these guys are so young. They have grown within the Nuggets program with their coaches, with Malone himself. He's been here four years. Um, they all hold each other accountable. It's not like this this team was put together piecemeal. They've added a few guys. Obviously, Paul Millsap. Paul Millsap's not a guy who's going to rock the boat. He is a, a fantastic locker room presence. Uh, Will Barton is a fantastic locker room presence. The young guys have really good examples to look up to uh, in Mason Plumley in IT. They all they rave about IT. There are it is a very cohesive group. And so they hold each other in check. Uh, that's part of the reason why I don't think there has been much boat rocking. And also, a lot of these guys are still on their rookie contracts. So there's not a lot of maneuvering that can go on there. I, I don't know how long everything stays balanced and everybody is content with their roles, but that's not an issue that has surfaced thus far. Is that something that comes with success in the NBA, do you think, that eventually, at some point, money's going to get involved, ego's going to get involved, all that, and then we're just in the honeymoon phase right now? Uh, completely possible. Uh, I don't, you know, we've seen it elsewhere. Uh, you know, KD was not content with his role or, or whatever was going on in Oklahoma City. He wanted to seek out greener pastures. Does he want to seek out even more greener pastures now, this upcoming summer? We'll see. Uh, the Nuggets are not at a point where they can start fancying themselves as as coveted assets, individual assets. They haven't done anything collectively yet. They need. I mean, Jokic just made his first All Star game. Like people are still recognizing how good this guy is, and and on down the line, Jamal Murray's 21 years old. Gary Harris has been injured in, in and out of the lineup this year, but people recognize how solid he is. Uh, and Malik Beasley has come on of late too, as well as Monte Morris. So a lot of these guys have not, they don't have a, a huge track record. They don't have a lot to hang their hats on. So a lot of it is the team keeping themselves in check, Malone keeping themselves in check. And they have, they, they don't have huge egos yet. And maybe that stays, maybe that doesn't. I can't predict the future, but in my opinion, that's why it has gone so swimmingly, uh, to, to use your word. So, playoffs not far away. 25 games? Two. 22 games. 22 games till we get into the playoffs when everything changes. Um, right now, it looks like the first-round matchup for the Nuggets is going to be one of three teams. Uh, the Kings, the Spurs, the Clippers. The Lakers, who knows what's going on there. I, I think we can leave them alone for right now. Mm. You had to choose. You're the Nuggets. You get to choose one of those teams to go up against. Which one is it? Well, I don't think you want to face Pop in the first round. I don't think you want to chess match against him. Uh, obviously, the Kings of the Clippers. I'd be a little bit nervous about the Kings just because – they're just a young, plucky team with a lot of energy. You know, 
they're somewhat in the same boat as the Nuggets, haven't been playoff tested. Um, this iteration, the Clippers hasn't either, but I think that the, that the Nuggets have had success against the Clippers so far this season. Uh, they obviously won the other night against them. I, I think that's 3-1 and one on the season series, I believe. Um, basically, the thing that you're concerned about with the Clippers is their effort and their hustle on the glass. I think they also have the best bench in the NBA. So in terms of depth, the Nuggets can match them. The Nuggets are you know, probably the deepest team in the NBA, if not the second deepest team in, in regards to the Clippers. So they can match up with them personnel-wise. Uh, Clippers obviously got weaker at the trade deadline, trading Tobias Harris. So I think that they could feel confident going into that matchup. Um, it probably wouldn't wear them down, uh, but I, I, I'm, I just can't stress this enough. I don't want to assume anything. I don't want to assume that just because they're probably the number two seed, they're going to make the second round or they're going to make the Western Conference Finals. We have to see it play out. I think it is foolish to assume otherwise. The home court advantage in Denver seems to be getting better and better with each passing week. Uh, now that they have that home court advantage, it seems like, for at least two rounds, uh, do you foresee a situation where it becomes they're going and they're doing these seven-game series, relying on that home court advantage to sort of get them through these moments? I mean, yeah, it's possible. Uh, you would like to think that they could beat the Clippers on the road if that were to happen. I know they beat them their opening night, um, uh, and they won in Sacramento as well when we were there. But... You know, theoretically, obviously, you want to end it as quickly as possible. But um, I think that when it would really come into play is is a potential second round series against the Thunder. Uh, Oklahoma City is a loud arena. Chesapeake Arena is loud. It is difficult to win there. The Thunder have experience. The Nuggets don't. Uh, people get tight on the road. There's no other way to, to to look at it. I mean, I talked to Isaiah Thomas yesterday about this. He you know, led the number one seed Celtics to the conference finals two years ago. He talked about for a team that hasn't made the playoffs in so long, it is vital to have home court advantage for as long as possible. Um, I don't know if your next follow-up question is, well, in that case, should they go for the one seed? I was going to be going there, yes. They brought that up yesterday. Yeah, they brought that up. I mean, I talked to Isaiah Thomas about that, and several other guys were asked about it. Jamal Murray said, why not go for the one seed? Uh, Will Barton said, why not go for the one seed? Um, there's a lot of layers to that. You you know, it's a little bit too early. There's 22 games left. I don't think you want to start playing matchups yet and start uh, maneuvering for matchups. You have to sort of see how it plays out at this point. The Nuggets' um, priority should be to win games and just play it out. Uh, But at this point, if the the Saints were to hold, they would be in excellent position because they would face the 2-3 seed sitting in the 2 seed for the second round. And the first time they could see Golden State or possibly Houston would be the Western Conference Finals. And those are the two teams that they should be the most scared of. So if you can put that off for as long as possible, do so. Uh, And that's why I'm a little bit skeptical of them going for the one seed, because if they do, that means that they could potentially have to face the Rockets a round early around earlier than they would need to. And Mm -hmm. I don't know that you want to invite that. Uh, Again, we're getting ahead of ourselves. I'm sure anyone with the Nuggets would roll their eyes if they were listening. Like, (laughs) let us get to the playoffs first. That's, I mean, that is the sentiment from Malone and from people I've talked to within the organization. What What is it about the Rockets that's such a difficult matchup for them? 
Well, I mean, James Harden is extremely difficult to guard. He is so unique. He doesn't necessarily, you can, you know, try to double team him. He kicks to either uh, Chris Paul or PJ Tucker, who destroyed the Nuggets earlier when we were in Houston. Um, they, they, and, and Clint Capella is a rim running big who doesn't match, who Nicole Jokic doesn't match up well with. Uh, they just have a lot of unique parts that are difficult to game plan for, and they just put you in all kinds of pick and rolls. They have sp- have spread James Hart around with every single conceivable shooter you could think of to stretch the floor, and they're just a tough cover. And you know, Mike D'Antoni doesn't hide his hand. This is who we are. Come at us if you can, and you know, may the best team win. And and for whatever reason, I mean, the Nuggets just snapped their nine game losing streak to Houston the last time they played. That is. I, I get that they overcame the mental hurt the mental hurdle of finally beating this team, but one and nine in your last ten is still a bit daunting uh, heading into a postseason series. So, throw out seeding, uh, throw out matchups. You're going down the stretch run of this season. What are the goals if you're going to lay them out for the Nuggets here for this last stretch of games heading into the playoffs? So they're finally healthy. You know we can check that off the list. Uh, Forget about Michael Porter Jr. I'm very confident that he's not going to play this year. So be it. They got Isaiah Thomas back. Um, the key for Michael Malone is figuring out his rotations. He needs to, we all know, playoff rotations shorten. You go to about eight, nine guys, nine guys tops. Uh, the Nuggets go 10 or 11 deep right now. There are some people you mentioned earlier who are probably going to lose minutes. Uh, Juancho Hernan Gomez, potentially Trey Lyles, maybe Torrey Craig. Um, they need to figure out what are their most efficient lineups. They need to figure out who plays, who complements each other, who covers for each other. When Gary Harris eventually goes back into the starting lineup, what does that mean for Malik Beasley? Um, can you play Monte Morris, uh, Isaiah Thomas, and Malik Beasley next to each other? Can can uh, Part of the reason that three-man lineup works so well with Harris is because he's a, the best defender. Great defender, yeah. And Malik Beasley is a work in progress, let's say. Mm-hmm. And so Malone needs to decide, how are we going to lay that out? Um, there is some practical sense to leaving Malik Beasley in the starting lineup and bringing Gary Harris off the bench, especially while he's still under a minutes restriction. But... Gary Harris is a starter. You paint him like a starter. He's the more polished player than Malik Beasley. And so he, you're basically just going to have to figure out substitution patterns. You're going to have to figure out how often you play Mason Plumlee with uh, Nikola Jokic. I just told you how efficient they are. That, that That's not their starting group. And figuring out how they stagger those lineups and figuring out which guys are on the right side of the cut line and which sides are on the wrong side of the cut line. And, and again, then it comes down to matchups come postseason. I know you said we're throwing them out, but I'm not yeah. throwing them out. <laughs> the, uh, what, what, what do you think the crunch time is once we get into the playoffs? That, that crunch time five, we're riding or dying with this five-man lineup right here. So last night they played with their – they finished the game with their original starting five for the first time since the first game of the season. It was a – Their best, uh, by the way, best overall rating right. five-man lineup. Right, right, right. Which hasn't played that much together, but yep. fine. Yep. So they, you know, it, it could be those guys. The two other guys who you would have to consider, I mean, that's the hard part. There may be three other guys you would have to consider. Beasley may get in if he's having a strong shooting night. He, you know, he can, he's been lights out from three the second half of the season. Um, 
potentially Monte Morris because of how steady he is with the ball. We know he protects the ball better than Jamal Murray does, but Jamal Murray is a better scorer than Monte Morris is. And then the other guy you've got to consider is Isaiah Thomas. Like He is just this X factor for the first two-thirds of the season. We didn't know if he was going to come back. Now that he's back, it's what can he do? What can you give me? What can you show in 22 games that would warrant earning crunch time minutes that you, you know, were extremely productive in while you were in Boston. Do, do, does your production in these next 22 games warrant you playing over a guy like Malik Beasley or Gary Harris? And that's just a question that Malone's going to have to decide, and they're not easy answers, but one would hope that that answer would reveal itself over the next stretch, in which case then you would limit yourself to seven potential guys in the crunch time. But yeah, I... If, I've I've seen some flashes. I feel like from Isaiah Thomas, he's had some pretty good moments here and there. If you gave truth serum to the Nuggets front office, what do you think their grade would be for what they've seen from him so far? I think they would be pretty happy with where they're at with him. Uh, it be I know that this dragged out longer than a lot of people anticipated. He finally came back. They thought he was going to come back a, a sooner than he did. Um, I think that they would be happy that there has there is value in who they signed. Like no one really knew how much mileage this guy had left on his body. He's 30 years old. He's hasn't necessarily played consistently in two years. Major hip surgery. Um, he he he's never seen a shot he didn't like. No, and, uh, definitely he, not. He's uh, had no hesitation about hoisting as soon as he gets in there. And. You know, sometimes the Nuggets need that. He's hit a, a couple huge transition three-pointers, and, and I wrote this. It, it's not a bad thing to add a competent spot-up shooter. It's The Nuggets need three-point shooting. Every team, you need—adding more three-point shooting is not a, a negative. If he can contribute that, I mean, he had a couple big ones last night. I know he got fouled on one. He also missed yep. a wide-open three that I thought he should have hit. But if you're contributing that in spot minutes and you're still producing and don't necessarily need to be in the flow of the game, then there's significant value in that. So am I asked, I'm asked to give a grade. I'm going to give a B-plus for what we've seen in four games back. Yeah, I think his ability to create his own shot is the thing that you love to be able to bring off the bench to have a guy like that for five minutes just roll him out there do what you want to do okay well i will also say he made a couple pretty terrible turnovers last (laughs) night he had the one at the end of the third quarter where he whipped a cross-court pass through traffic uh and the thunder lead the nba in deflections and steals paul george rips it hits a three-quarter length uh, three-pointer at the buzzer. Yeah, change the flow of the game. Change the flow of the game, sets the Thunder off. Thunder eventually storm back, take a three-point lead late in the game. Uh, it all started there. So, you know, you gotta. he's got to have some runway. It's only fair to give him a little bit of runway. Um, you can't expect him to be IT of 2017. And, you know, frankly, I, I, all in all, I think they'd be pleased, especially because he's just he's been a consummate teammate thus far. He hasn't rocked anything with, with Monte Morris. Monte Morris seemingly loves playing with him. Um, he's talked glowingly about him in the locker room and, you know, a, as a teammate on the court. So I think that it's thus far been a positive. Uh, I'm happy that I have no dog in the fight over who's playing, or I have no decision to make. Yeah, that's so many tough decisions to make. And I think Malik Beasley is one that I'm just really fascinated to see what happens with him over these last 22 games and then also in the playoffs because his star is definitely on the rise. Mm -hmm. You can see that he's turning into something. Mm -hmm. Um, And certainly defensible to have him out there in big minutes. 
Uh, no question. I mean, he started last night on uh, Westbrook. It was an interesting decision given that Torrey Craig's had so much success against Westbrook. Um, and, you know, I was talking to some other reporters about this. He is not a bad on-ball defender. It's when he gets caught up in screens or he gets caught up ball watching that he gets burned. So, I mean, he is the most athletic guy on the team. He has all the tools that one would need to be a, a plus defender. It's it's the focus. It is the uh, prep work. It is the studying your opponent um, that he sort of needs to progress in. And, and, you know, on the offensive end, we know what he can do. His three-point shooting is phenomenal. Um, explosive, too. Yeah, explosive in transition. So, you know, you're absolutely right. His ceiling is is rising by the week, uh, and I think that's just making Malone's you know decisions even more difficult. But he obviously has trust in him, or he wouldn't have started Malik Beasley in arguably the biggest game of the year last night. Yeah, I uh, one other thing, just real quick before we go, I want to bring this up. Um, didn't even prep you on this one. Uh oh. Um, the coaching job done by Michael Malone so far this season has been really good. I. Haven't heard a ton of talk about who's going to be the coach of the year this year, but I have to think he's in the conversation. No question. He's, uh, in my opinion, there are three or four candidates. Um, Malone, absolutely, navigating a crazy rash of injuries to the Nuggets and now sitting one game behind the Warriors. Uh, Mike Budenholzer in Milwaukee. Yeah, definitely. He, you know, r- replaces Jason Kidd, and the team vaults to the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. They didn't have a lot of overhaul in terms of their personnel. Figured out how to use Giannis, and similar to what the what the Rockets do, you just put a lot of shooters around him. You know, evidently Brooke Lopez should be in the three point contest <laughs> yeah. next year. Um, so Budenholzer. Then you look at. Uh, Nate McMillan, what he's done with the Indiana Pacers, they haven't lost any ground after the Victor Oladipo injury. Yeah. They're still, I believe, a top-four seed in the East. They are. Yeah. And um, Dave Yeager. Uh, Dave Yeager with the Kings. Um, you know, the King, I don't know how long it's been since the Kings made the playoffs, but the fact that he's got this team in contention fighting for the eighth seed and, you know, talk about a star on the rise in terms of the Kings, like, De'Aaron Fox, um, Marvin Bagley Jr., they have some players, uh, and he gets a lot of credit. I I think it generally doesn't go to a team that exceeds expectations in terms of just getting the eight seed, but he is all four of those guys, in my opinion, are in the conversation. If I I had a vote, I don't know if I have a vote, but if I had a vote, I would probably lean Budenholzer, but that's not to say that – that's not to – throw any shade or diminish anything of what Malone has done with this team. Yeah, I think I think I'd have to agree with you and I would probably if I was going to handicap it, I would say it'd be Budenholzer number 1, Malone number 2, Jaeger number 3, uh, and then McMillan uh, at the fourth. Let me throw one more name in there. Uh, Nick Nurse. Oh yeah, you could first first yeah. year coach uh, with the Toronto Raptors. You could even put Atkins in there if you wanted to with the Nets. Sure, but I think those other guys have a better argument. But uh, Nick Nurse, first year coach with the Raptors, ton of pressure coming in. You have one year with Kawhi Leonard to get this right. Go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they have. Yeah. Yeah. And they could easily be in the finals. Easily. Out of the, the East to me is that is a complete mystery who comes out of that thing. Totally. I mean, 
again, I need to look at the seedings in the East, but I mean, if the Pacers keep the three seed and then you get a four or five matchup involving Boston and Boston Philly. and Philly, one of those teams is getting out in the first round. That is completely underwhelming in terms <laughs> yes. of you know fulfilling expectations. That is, you you want to sell Kyrie Irving on Boston? Don't lose in the first round. That's, yes, that would be my advice to Philly of all teams. To Philly of all teams, uh, right? Because I think that's that, that's a rivalry right there. That's of course it is real. Of course it is. After uh, Philly uh, or after Boston traded down, got Jason Tatum, obviously the better player of that draft. Yeah. Well, they. Uh, Got Mark Helfoltz and dealt him this past yeah, year. Yeah, isn't even with the team anymore. Unbelievable. Yes. After t- not even two seasons. Right. Didn't, right, didn't right. even last with the team. All right, Mike. Well, thanks for joining me. Uh, once again, had a great time uh, talking with you about the Nuggets. Uh, hopefully, we'll see you again soon. Perfect. Appreciate it.